0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
0: Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello everybody
2: and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata and I'm joined by Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. a A-A Aaron Sutton. And the Miami Dolphins travel to Cincinnati this Sunday. Actually, they're traveling on Saturday, but they'll be playing in Cincinnati on Sunday. Against the Bengals, who are 3-1, and one. the Miami Dolphins also 3-1, and one, but two teams that are on different arcs right now at the quarterway point of the season. The Miami Dolphins starting off hot 3-0, and oh, pulling out win against the Raiders and pulling out the marathon win against the Titans. Much more control against the Jets. But then the New England Patriots, they went up there to Foxborough and they got their butts handed to them. From beginning to end. If you have not listened to our group therapy session from that Patriots game, just check in the episode list and do so either before you continue to listen to this episode or afterwards. The Cincinnati Bengals, on the other hand, went toe-to-toe with the Atlanta Falcons and won it in the final seconds with an acrobatic catch by AJ Green in the corner of the end zone. No secret, the Bengals have plenty of weapons. They're likely getting Joe Mixon back this week. And with the Dolphins struggling against Sony Michelle this past Sunday. Will that pose a threat to the Dolphins' defense? We'll talk more about that later in the show. But the Miami Dolphins need to get back on track. These next four games are a defining point in their season. I tweeted out earlier this week, if they go 2-2, two and two, I'll be happy. You need to win your two home games against the Bears and the Lions at minimum. If you go on the road against the Bengals and lose, yes, it's going to be tough to swallow because of the loss against the Patriots, but it won't be the end of the world. However... Lots of stuff to talk about with Adam Gase making another move. There's a trend here. After blowout losses, Adam Gase likes to make a statement. He made one with Jordan Phillips. And when we talk about our pass defense and rush defense, we're going to touch on the loss of Phillips and what that means for the team. But now let's get right to it. It's the Dolphins versus Bengals.
0: Dolphins versus Bengals.
2: Dolphins take on the Bengals this coming Sunday. The media schedule for this week on Wednesday, Adam Gase will talk to the media at 1.15. The players will practice at 11.20. On Thursday, practice begins at 11.15. Adam Gase talks at 1.05 p.m. On Friday, again, practice at 11.20, and Adam Gase talks to the media at 12.20. Saturday, they, it's a travel day, and Sunday on CBS. The broadcasters, once again, Kevin Harlan on play-by-play, Rich Gannon, the color analyst, and Steve Tasker on the sideline. This is the third time this season this crew has called a Dolphins game, so they are very familiar with how the Dolphins operate. No national media this week like they had against the Patriots, the Dolphins. It seems every time they get national media attention, they seem to falter. Why is that? Well, we have some answers when we start talking about the individual aspects of this team, such as you know the pass offense, the pass defense, the run defense. The run offense, there's all these different parts here that we're going to touch on. But first, we're going to talk about the run defense. But before we do that, I want to just touch on the defense as a whole. And the Miami Dolphins, you know, uh, they get a lot of criticism on the defensive side of the ball, and deservedly so. When you look at their overall grades, you know, we have a subscription to Pro Football Focus. And while we cannot publicly say the grades because it is material that they copyrighted and do not like, for us and other publishers to freely publish and talk about. But when you look at, you know, their defense as a whole, it is not great. They have been in the mid 60s every game except the Titans where they're actually below 60. So when you look at the overall trend, and I know and we talked about this, when you look at a four game sample size, it skews it a little bit, especially after the game against the Patriots. But honestly, the game against the Patriots, their defense got their highest grade. So even if you're taking that out, it gets even worse. Their run defense, same thing. They got their highest grade. It was a .3 Their uh, change between week two and week four, but they got their highest run defense grade against the Patriots. They got their second highest grade against the Patriots when you're talking about the tackling grade. Their pass rush grade was the second highest against the Patriots. Their coverage grade was a third, and their special teams was the highest there. Which all seems a little crazy because when you watch the game, you're like, "Whoa, this defense was has played the worst all season, and their special teams also played the worst." But it's actually very different from there. Now, here's where they stand after four games: they're first in interceptions with nine; they're second in the NFL in opposing passing rating at 72.2; they're tied for third in turnovers forced with ten; they're tied for sixth in opposing passing touchdowns with five; they're seventh and opposing yards per carry at 3.68. Now that doesn't tell the entire story because they're also allowing 5.7 yards per carry, 17th in the NFL, and 30th in the NFL on third down defense, allowing a 50% conversion rate. So while you can pick up at those stats here and there, the overall story is kind of what you see on film. So, so, and let's start with the run defense first, and then halt, we're going to jump right to you on the pass defense. When you look at this team, when you look at the defensive line, again, the loss of Jordan Phillips now, Vincent Taylor and Devon are going to get more playing time, Cameron Melval promoted from the practice squad. He's coming up. The rotation of Wake, Quinn, Branch, we'll see if we get him back this week against the Bengals. But when you look at all this combined together, the linebackers and everything else, how do you see this Dolphins team stopping Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard?
3: I think this Cincinnati offense is going to be a challenge for us to stop. Uh, When you look at just some of the raw stats, you know, for some of the people that look at the box score, you really just have one piece of of information. So when you look at some of the raw stats, you see, oh, they're bottom bottom 11 in the NFL and rush yards. But what you don't see is they're one of the higher pass ratio teams because that's what's been working for them the first couple of games, that game against Atlanta, they couldn't get anything going on the ground. So of course you're going to slang it around. And that was definitely uh, working for them very well. So you, you see Cincinnati only 93 and a half yards per game, but you also have to take into context that Joe Mixon has been out for the last two weeks. So Joe Mixon is getting 4.7 yards per carry Gio Bernard. still getting 4.6 yards per carry, and this is an average run blocking offensive line. So, Uh, you really have to give credit to the running back talent they have in that group. And really you could compare them to who we faced last week and Sony, Michelle and James white, geo Bernard's a quick twitch passing specialist and, still capable of getting some stuff done uh, between the tackles and Joe Mixon is that young body like Sonny Michelle is for the Patriots so what I really think this is going to challenge for our defense is our tackling and we were talking before the show that it's one point we haven't really mentioned that much in the shows thus far but we have been missing a, a few too many tackles and when you look at the Bengals they have 200 of their 344 rushing yards have been after contact so Uh, like I said earlier the run blocking isn't outstanding but we certainly have to do better up front than we did last week we definitely got out physical last week Uh, in terms of where Cincinnati gets most of their production in the running game you're going to look at them getting to the outside and uh, a third of total yards is off the left end and uh, almost another fifth is off the right end so you're looking at that getting to the edges and the wide nine is going to help with that a little bit, but, uh, Robert Quinn, Cameron wake, Charles Harris, they're going to have to step up because this is a- another type of game. Just like the Patriots did is you're going to see them because our depth is down. We know that, you know, we have Andre branch out, William Hayes is out. So, they're going to test the trenches and they're going to try to wear us down. So this is going to want to be, um, this is going to be one of those mindset games where we are going to be determined to win the trenches, to win those one-on-one matchups, to uh, be able to kind of persevere over this lack of depth right now until we can get Andre branch back and get a little bit of a better rotation. Uh, But getting them out to the edges, again, going back to Cincinnati, if they're going out to the edges and they are able to get, perhaps inside the wide nine, maybe into the C-gap right off the tackle, uh, you could see a a game where Rashad is really important, T.J. McDonald really important, that they're tackling in space. Again, this is going to be a test of tackling. So I I think if we can tackle well here, then we could possibly uh, limit them in the running game and make them a little bit one-dimensional, and Andy Dalton has been... Uh, Turning the ball over a little bit, so maybe I'll throw this over to Houts to get to the to the pass defense.
4: Yeah, I mean, you look at what Cincinnati has done this year. They are currently the twelfth ranked passing offense, two hundred eighty three yards per game. The fourth scoring offense with thirty one and a half points per game. They are just scoring at will, it seems. And uh, this is a bad time for them to go up against the Dolphins, in my opinion. Dolphins uh, didn't look too well last week. You saw a guy like Philip Dorsett pretty much have his way with Xavier Howard, who had his Easily his worst game, you know, in the last six to 12 games. I mean, it was just, it was just bad to see your shutdown corner just kind of get bullied out there. I mean, I know it wasn't all on him, but uh, he, he looked pretty bad. And a lot of this goes back to Rashad Jones. I think he's going to be the key to this. I think the Dolphins need him to be healthy because now you got Bobby McCain out. Uh, the, you just continue to lose player after player, and you're going against one of the more high-octane offenses in the NFL right now, uh, A.J. Green. Tyler Boyd, I think he's their leading receiver right now. He's got 26 receptions, 349 yards, 13.4 yards per catch, two touchdowns. And then you got A.J. Green who scored five touchdowns this season. Him matching up with Xavier Howard after what Howard got, uh, like I said, he got bullied by Philip Dorsett. I mean, I, I don't like that matchup at all. There, uh, Eifert's out, we know. So C.J. Uzama going to be the tight end that fills in there. Uh, John Ross, the big, the big play threat there. So it's going to be tough for the Dolphins' defense because, again, Bobby McCain's out. You got uh, you got Torrey McIntyre in there. You got Cordrea Tankersley that you're now going to have to rely on. They're going to have to rely on different guys. Cornell Armstrong, I mean, they're going to be these guys that need to step up, and if Rashad Jones isn't healthy, uh, you're going to need to ask more from these guys. Mink is going to be the nickel most likely. Maybe they'll move him outside, but I'm not sure what the plan is right now. But overall, I mean, Andy Dalton, he is playing out of his mind. Uh, the Dolphins seem to be struggling up front to get any sort of pass rush against the opposing uh, quarterback. And, again, as soon as Rashad Jones went out, the defense started to fall apart. So uh, the way they match up right now with Cincinnati, I'm not feeling too confident about it. And I think, like Sutton said, if they can go out there. I mean, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's back. He's a uh, pretty damn good running back. They got Gio Bernard. Uh, we saw a little bit of Mark Walton. They have the backs there that they can work them in early and then Kill us with the play action, so uh, I don't like this matchup, especially by McCain out. So you got to hope that the Dolphins can go out there; they can do a lot different than what they did against uh, New England, because New England pretty much had their way with the Dolphins, and they can't let that happen. Not in this huge divisional matchup. I know we're going to talk about it, but I mean, you look at what happened. Miami started season three and zero; they're not three and one. If they go up here in Cincinnati and lay another egg, I mean, they're three and two, and then they play. I believe it's Chicago, and Chicago they just they just dismantled the Buccaneers uh on sunday and to see that go down to see what they can do with that offense their defense i mean khalil Mack is going to be licking his chops so the dolphins have to go up there they have to beat uh the bangles and they got to win this huge game because at the end of the season it's games like this that are going to matter most
2: i just want to circle back here and talk about kind of the both the pass defense and run defense as a whole and look at it from the Bengals side of things when you look at andy dalton he's kind of like that guy that people aren't sure where he stands in terms of quarterback rankings, right? There are some seasons where he's on fire. There are some games where he's on fire, like last week against the Falcons. And actually this season, he's been pretty good all season. However, we've seen the seasons where he's just been absolutely dreadful a little bit of last year and just in the big moments he can't produce, right? The Miami Dolphins have a good history against the Bengals, uh, save for last year where they got uh, dominated from beginning to end. And actually not last year was the year before that. And that's actually when Adam Gase, after the Titans game, following that game, decided to cut several offensive linemen. And then we know from there, last year, after the embarrassing loss to the Ravens, he traded J.H.I. And as we mentioned, now after the embarrassing loss to the Patriots, he cut Jordan Phillips. But when you look at eight, uh, Andy Dalton and you look at his receivers, I mean, they got some good receivers this year. They got A.J. Green, who's always been great. But Tyler Boyd has really come on and establish himself as a very good receiver on that team. Yes, Tyler Eifert was injured, and he's out for the season, and just terrible luck for him. But you mentioned Ozuma, too, uh, Houts, and, and he's coming along as well, and he cannot be taken lightly. Now, when they get Joe Mixon back, and they're probably going to get him back this week, the running backs for the Bengals have been, have been very good. They have been just short of 100 yards in all their games this season. They have not hit 100 yards rushing. Let's hope that doesn't change on Sunday, but based on the Dolphins, you know, history this season, it seems like they have a really good shot to get over 100 yards. Joe Mixon in the uh, win this earlier this season, he rushed for 95 and 84 yards respectively in games one and two. Now, last year, the Bengals had two games in which a player reached 100 yards rushing game 11 versus Cleveland. when Mixon gained 114 yards in game 15 versus Detroit when Gio Bernard rushed for 116 yards. As I mentioned, both those performances uh, came into winning efforts last season. Now, the Bengals' record with a rusher who hits the 25-carry plateau is 39-2. and two. And we've talked about this on the show in the past. When you have uh, stats like that, usually it usually means that the team is winning. So reaching 30 rushes as a team usually spells success under Marvin Lewis, as the Bengals were 4-1 when rushing 30 times as a team in 2017. So while you can't look at that stat and just dismiss it, you can't dismiss it entirely. It shows that they're committed to the run game. And yes, that is very true. With Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, they have formed a dynamic duo. And with, with Andy Dalton, you know, throwing the ball there, he's connected on more passes of 50 yards or longer, which is 21, than any other quarterback wide receiver tandem in the league since entering the NFL in 2011. While they have yet to connect on a pass longer than 50 yards so far this season, they had three of those plays in 2017. The two, Andy Dalton and AJ Green, have started 103 of a possible 116 regular season games together over their eight seasons. Now, why is that important? It's important because they have chemistry, right? And we saw Xavier Howard have a really bad game against the Patriots. Can Xavier Howard bounce back? Because he's probably going to be tasked with covering AJ Green throughout this game. And I just mentioned Joe Mixon, who's coming back, and Gio Bernard. And while Joe Mixon was inactive the last two weeks due to a knee injury, the Bengals put a heavier workload on Bernard. And he's been in the league for six years, so he has an idea of what he's doing. The Bengals are now 10-1-1, based on this season as well, in games in which Bernard has had at least 15 rushing attempts. Last week against Atlanta, Bernard rushed 15 times for 69 yards and two touchdowns. The previous week, Cincinnati fell to Carolina where Bernard just rushed 12 times for 61 yards and a touchdown. In the 12 games in which Bernard has reached 15 carries, he has averaged 78.4 yards, scored seven rushing touchdowns, and topped the 100-yard mark three times. Again, why is that important? It's important because the Bengals, just like the Patriots, have two very capable running backs of imposing damage and their will on opposing defenses. With the Dolphins struggling in that area, this might be an area where they exploit the Dolphins' defense. When you jump over to the other side of the ball for the Miami Dolphins, the pass offense, and the run offense, it was dreadful last week. There were opportunities for Ryan Tannehill looking at the All-22. Guys were open on the field. Adam Gase said it. Jakeem Grant and Danny Amendola were open all game long. While he didn't mention Ryan Tannehill by name, he basically threw him under the bus during his press conference on Monday, where he said Amendola and Grant were open all game, but for whatever reason, the ball didn't get to them. If you look at the film, and this happens to quarterbacks sometimes when you're down by so much you're just trying to lock in on a target and get something going. Ryan Tannehill was locking on targets throughout the duration of the game. He wasn't scanning the field for the open receivers. You look at the pass protection as well. Jawan James was absolutely dreadful. When Kilgore went out of the game, you threw in Swanson, who was jumping right into the mix in the middle of the game. That was not a recipe for success. Ted Larson was pushed back quite a bit as well. The Dolphins will have a full week to practice with this offensive line and hopefully come back out on Sunday and give Ryan Tannehill some room to operate in the pocket and, yes, also roll outside of the pocket. The Patriots brought seven men in the secondary to combat the Dolphins' speed and underneath passes, and the Dolphins still cannot find a way to figure it out, even though Adam Gase admitted they knew it was coming. So that part is concerning as well. Yes, Ryan Tannehill tried to launch a deep, but he missed on several passes. The Patriots basically dared Ryan Tannehill to beat them with the deep ball. Kenya Drake got three, I believe it was three rushing yards on three carries. Absolutely terrible. But Adam Gates admitted that one, he has to do a better job of getting Kenyon Drake more carries. And he said he has some ideas, but two, he also said there were more run plays called, but Ryan Tannehill checked out of them. Well, he didn't mention Tannehill by name. He did mention that the play was flipped to wide receivers based on the numbers that the defense presented. Again, maybe not a direct shot at Ryan Tannehill because he didn't mention the numbers the defense had but Ryan Tannehill has to be smarter than that and try to get the game going with Kenyon Drake and finding those areas where you can exploit the defense. When you got seven guys on the field who are playing in the secondary, your running back should run all over the place and get plenty of yards, but instead it was the exact opposite. If you think I'm mad about the game against the Patriots, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can look at games and say, okay, they just had a bad game, but you can look at the Patriots game and say they were absolutely terrible based on their offensive game plan and their schemes. The first three weeks of the season – They were working. They were working it. They were throwing underneath passes, then opening up the field deep with Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson and Jakeen Grin and everyone else. And the opposing defense had no idea what they were coming. Bill Belichick put a master class on Adam Gase and Matt Burke and the rest of the Dolphins coaching staff. Marvin Lewis is not that smart. Bill Lazier, the former Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator, now the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati, is not that smart. But the Dolphins got to get it together quickly. So after all that sudden, after my rant there, after my soapbox, I'm getting off of it. Your, pat, your analysis of the Dolphins' pass offense going into this game against Cincinnati, and then how it's your analysis of the run offense for Miami.
3: The strength of the Cincinnati defense is the defensive line, and especially Geno Atkins. We've seen him wreck us before when we were wearing those disgusting creamsicle jerseys. Geno had a great game that game, and there's no reason to think that he may not have another great game, guys. I mean, uh, the interior offensive line is going to be going under some shape-shifting here and it remains to be seen whether these guys can come together or not whether the reps were there that uh, they can come together and uh, give Ryan Tannehill a pocket and get some holes open for our running backs uh, but this perhaps uh, Call me optimistic, but this might be a good defense to run into at the same time. And so, in other words, if our offensive line can hold up and, and give Ryan Tannehill at least average amount of time to to get rid of the ball, this is a bend but don't break defense. And. You really haven't seen them do much blitzing. They haven't done much press coverage. And that's because I I believe that their back seven is fairly limited. So, again, like I said, that their front four is pretty good. Their back seven is not that great. So what I'm looking at here, you know, you, you see Drake Kirkpatrick is probably their best cover guy. And Nick Vigil is probably their best linebacker. Um, again, Geno Atkins is responsible for 17 of the 49 total team pressures and four of the sacks, uh, four of the 10 total team sacks. They just have three picks on the year. So these are not real opportunistic guys. These are, like I said, Ben, but don't break. So what you'll probably see is a lot of twists and stunts on the defensive line to try to confuse our offensive line that has recently come together here. Uh one thing Cincinnati is good at is not giving up the big plays. So like I said, uh they're dropping a lot of people off and they're playing off man coverage, so they're not letting people get behind them, and they're giving people the you know the seven, eight uh, out sorry, seven, eight yard outs on the boundary and letting people get chunk yardage like that. That's not really a big deal to them. Uh so this is gonna be one of those games where Ryan Tannehill And what we were kind of talking about in that Patriots game is take what the defense has given you. And I saw a couple plays immediately jump out to me when I looked at the all 22 today, that there were a couple of plays that, you know, not we're not trying to thread needles or get the ball into really tight windows here. We're just looking at. Go into a second or third progression and and seeing some really positive plays. So I'm hoping uh, that Tannehill learned a lesson from that game that he can come on the road here, and it's going to test the communication again. And he's got a new offensive line, so this is going to be an interesting game to see how uh, well-oiled that we come out. But, again, just take what the defense gives you and be able to scan the field because there will be be some open uh, people there because I I do like our team speed again and I think the linebackers uh, with Kenyon Drake out uh, in the flats or getting angle routes or possibly splitting him out wide I think he's a a pretty good matchup there for us and definitely need to get him more involved than we have in the last couple games we have to find a way. When I was looking at the Cincinnati defense specifically I looked at the Carolina game that they played week three and then I looked at that offensive shootout in week four and what I noticed was in that Carolina game banana motion was something that confused them and banana motion some some people might immediately remember that was something that Jarvis Landry did a couple of times last year but it's where uh, you know the wide receiver is going In motion, and instead of going straight across the field, is actually arcing behind the quarterback and the running back if there happens to be a running back in this play, and basically banana arcing all the way to the other side of the field. And that type of motion did give the Cincinnati Bengals some problems. We have plenty of quick, fast wide receivers able to uh, really keep the defense honest in that respect. So we might be able to see some of those types of motions. And then here might be the game where Mike jasiki breaks out. I did notice that the seams were getting busted, so to speak. Sorry, the poor pun there. But there are a couple of plays that Cincinnati's defense was getting destroyed in, in their zone defense, just getting right up the seam. Nothing fancy. And uh, Mike Jasicki with his... Uh, 6'6, 245 body frame uh, should be able to uh, capitalize on those opportunities.
4: Yeah, I mean, the first thing we got to look at here is the offensive line. And Sutton touched on a little bit. I mean, this is a completely revamped offensive line than what we started with, you know, back in the preseason. Sittings out, we knew that. And then we lose Daniel Kilgore, our center. Now we have what appears to be Travis Swanson moving in there. The first play, I think, from scrimmage for him was that costly fumble over Ryan Tannehill's head, poor snap, and from there the game kind of went south there in New England. Well, was pretty much the nail in the coffin, let's say, because that game was south well before that. But the Dolphins' offensive line needs to come out, and they need to perform because Geno Atkins, Jordan Willis, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, I mean, those guys are big, menacing run stuffers, and the Dolphins' offensive line – uh, got beat pretty handily last week. So for us, we need to go out there, and this offensive line needs to dictate how this game is played. They need to keep Ryan Tannehill, you know, clean in the pocket. But most importantly, I mean, I don't know what Adam Gase has been thinking. I, I don't know uh, whose idea it was. But over the last two weeks, Kenyon Drake has eight carries for eight yards. Uh, that is completely unacceptable. There's no reason why you're – I mean, this is a guy that you got rid of JHI for because you thought Kenyon Drake would carry the workload. Uh, at the end of last season, he was the best running back in those last five weeks of the season. And then you're going to come out, and in two games, he's only touching the football eight times from a, a rushing standpoint. I mean, he had three carries last week. There, there's no reason for that. Uh, as much as you might like Frank Gore, as much as I think he needs to have his say in this offense, there's no reason why Kenyon Drake sees that fewest snaps. So you need to go out there, and you need to again establish the run. Uh, maybe you're not running up the middle. Maybe you need to do some more of those stretch plays. Try to Some tosses, some misdirections there, but you need to find a way to get your speed to the outside because you got a guy like Kenyon Drake. You can, uh, I mean, his vision's second to none, but you need to get him to the outside. You need to allow him to find those holes and just explode through them because uh, when Kenyon Drake's on this, that's when this offense begins to click. You got a guy like we said, Frank Gore. He can he can be the thunder to Kenyon Drake's lightning. He can get some some carries here and there, but you need to go out there and establish a run early on with Kenyon Drake. You need to use some of that misdirection that we saw with Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, whether they're lined up in the backfield, they're coming around that jet sweep motion, whatever it may be. You need to attack those those edges because I don't think that, as good as Cincinnati's offense or defensive line is, I don't think they can contain the speed that Miami can bring uh, in the run game. Another thing I want to look for, I want to see Ryan Tannehill use his legs more. I mean, last week he just stood still in the pocket. He looked like a statue. He really didn't move uh, when the pressure was on. He looked like a deer in the headlights. You'd like to see some more of that. uh, I don't know if it's read option. You know, It's I don't think it's read pass option like you'd love to hear Chris Collins say. But you'd like to see a little bit more of that read option. I'd like to see Ryan Tannehill get those opportunities to move the football with his legs. Because when he's being a mobile quarterback, when he's trying to, you know, he's running those bootlegs, he's, he's using his legs to beat the defenders. That is when this offense begins to click. So you need to go out there. You need to establish the run early. You need to get this offensive line in a rhythm. Because on paper, the offensive line should just get destroyed by Cincinnati's front four. But I don't think that's the case. I think you attack the edges, you force them to try to contain Kenyon Drake's speed, uh, the speed of Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Frank Gore. Maybe you bring in Kalen Balaj, who knows? But you need to establish that run because if the Dolphins are gonna have any success and they're gonna continue, you know, in this game and throughout the year, you need to establish that run because three carries for Kenyon Drake's unacceptable.
2: It's certainly going to be an interesting game to watch to see how Miami bounces back. Under Adam Gase, they have bounced back pretty well when they've gotten embarrassed and dominated against their opponents. When they got dominated his first year, they went on a streak of several consecutive wins. When they got dominated last year against the Ravens, they came back and won. Both those games are at home, though. This game's a little different. It's on the road in Cincinnati with a fired-up fan base with hot team coming off a huge win against the Atlanta Falcons. Ryan Tannehill needs to get it done. When he's passing the ball, receivers need to get open. Offensive line needs to do their job, and the run game needs to get going. It sounds quite simple, but it seems to be so hard for this team to pull off. This team was created in Adam Gase's image and Adam Gase's mold. It is up to Adam Gase to decide how he wants to move forward. And this I pose to you, House and Sutton, and it's everyone listening as well. I have always been a firm believer in Adam Gase calling plays, that's what got him as to become a head coach. Yes, Peyton Manning. Yes, he had success there. But it wasn't all Peyton Manning. I mean, Peyton Manning is one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play the game, but Peyton Manning has endorsed Adam Gase to the highest level. And I've always been the guy who says, do what got you there. If I'm getting promoted in a company, sometimes you have to give up others and trust others to do the job that you once did while offering them oversight and guidance. So how Sutton? before we go into our just recap of the show and, and ending it. Is it time for Adam Gase to give up play calling duties? And I'll start here. And I think it absolutely is time for him to give up play calling duties. And this is really rare for me to say this because I have been a firm proponent of this since day one. But he has a guy, Dowell Lockins, who he can trust. He has a guy that has called plays before. He has a guy that talks the same football language as him. If you are at a game, if you are sitting in the press box, you will look over on the sideline at Adam Gase and you will see him sitting with the offense while the defense is doing their thing on the field. Yes, in tight situations, Adam Gase is on the sideline. And when he's said what he's had to say to his quarterbacks and offense, then he'll get back on the sidelines and help the defense out or watch them, whatever it is he does. But his attention during the week is obviously more geared towards the offense. And we've seen the defense struggle in each of his three years here. And we've seen the overall game management in terms of flow on rhythm struggle a bit. Well, I don't think he will give a play calling. I think it is something that we should talk about. And I do think it is time for him to give that up so he can focus on the overall state of the team instead of being so laser focused on the offensive side of the ball. Sutton, what do you think?
3: Well, I'd, here's my concern with this whole discussion. And my concern is some of the opening scripts that we've seen the Dolphins play in big games. And for anybody wondering what I mean by an opening script is NFL teams usually bring with them to 10 to 15 plays that they're definitely going to run at the beginning of the game. Uh, this is either A, to set up other plays during the game, or A, just plays they think will be extremely effective against this particular team so when you come out and and i was actually i kind of like that first play that we had against the patriots uh, we went deep and we kind of did a a, a double uh, a deep drag route and kenny stills uh, Ryan Tannehill threaded the needle and got him for like 22, 25 yards. I was like, damn, that was that was a pretty sweet start to the game. And then nothing seemed to transpire after that. So my concern is that it seems like Adam Gase's opening scripts are not very effective in some of these big games that we're playing against. And we and we know this because we it's pretty well documented how some of the early – game struggles that we've had. And we've always a second half team and an after halftime sort of team. And you have to give credit to Gase in that respect that he makes the adjustments after he sees what's going wrong. But you never really see the Miami offense come out and just start slaying it. So I'm wondering why the opening scripts are not as effective as we want them to be. I don't know if that's the way Gase is drawing it up or if it's execution, uh, But you certainly have to admit that Gase does have uh, a fairly heavy component in this.
4: Yeah, and I can't imagine what it's like. You know, you're a head coach at your first gig, and you're supposed to be this offensive, you know, mastermind or at least a pretty successful offensive coordinator. Then to give up your play calling duties, I mean, it would almost be like you and your occupation giving someone else, you know, the the key to the the key to the car, sort of speak, or the key to the kingdom. I mean. If I'm a chef, which I am, I'm sitting there making a fillet, I want it to be medium rare, uh, do I do it myself or do I trust someone else to make sure that temp's, you know, on point. So I can't imagine what Adam Gase thinks about this. i I'm not sure if it's even something he's considered. Uh, but I do think it's something that, you know, us as fans looking at it, yeah, hell yeah, you should give up play calling duties to Dollar Loggins because I mean, you you saw him, he was a pretty successful offense coordinator with his time in Chicago. Uh you see Gase on the sideline a lot. He looks like he's just You know he's intently watching the game, but you'd rather see him use some of that time to make those mid-game adjustments. Because, like Sutton said, you come out and the the first ten to fifteen plays are scripted, and you know they're not very effective. So then from there, whether or not the defense showed you this, I mean, last week New England showed the quarters defense, and both Tannehill and Adam Gase seemed to have absolutely no uh, no counter to it. They had no nothing that they could go to 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 uh, exploit it you know whether it be the run game or to spread out the off or defense whatever it may be uh they seem to make no adjustments during the game and that's a concern that's where how games are won and lost and again time and time again you see adam gase's uh teams come out slow uh sluggish and especially on the road they just come out and at times more times than not they're laying eggs so uh, i think if he gives over those play calling duties to a guy like Dal Loggins, that would allow him more time to you know make those mid-game adjustments but I don't see it happening anytime soon. And I think, uh, I, I do think his tenure in Miami is going to be long lived. But if it isn't, that could be part of the downfall. In our view,
2: get set for the Dolphins versus Bengals on Sunday let's take a look at the history of these two teams Miami's largest margin of victory was 24 twice most re- recently at Miami 37 Cincinnati 13 12 9 91. Cincinnati's largest margin of victory 17 when they had 38 versus Miami's 21 in 1968 now the Dolphins and here's an interesting stat they have been the second toughest opponent the Bengals have encountered in their 51-year history based on series winning percentage. The Dolphins hold a 16-6 edge, including 1-0 in postseason, for a 727 success rate. The Dolphins' overall winning percentage against the Bengals trails only the 49ers, who are 11-4 with 7-33. As we mentioned earlier in the show, the Bengals won the last meeting in 2016 when they played in Cincinnati, 22-7 but Miami has won three of the past four meetings overall and leads nine to four in games played in Cincinnati. We all remember the infamous game in Halloween when Cameron Wake walked off with the safety. That was in Miami in overtime in 2013 where the Dolphins won 22 to 20. Last week, we all drank the Kool-Aid. Actually, we all didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I forgot who it was, but I think Houts, it was you who said the Dolphins would not go in and get the win against the Patriots.
3: Um, It was me. Thank you very much. It was Sutton. All right. My bad there.
2: So it was Sutton. Me and Houts, we both drank the Kool-Aid there for the Dolphins. And I
3: think um,
2: just to be objective and just to be fair to our listeners, I don't think predicting scores and predicting absolute outcomes is effective, right? Because everyone plays the gotcha game and there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we don't know about. And we kind of got off track there in the last few weeks. So instead, we're just going to talk about the overall direction of the game. And I said earlier on Twitter this week it's going to be a really rough stretch of four games. We'll see how the Dolphins back bounce back against the Bengals, but it's going to be a very tough game for Miami. And we're really going to see what they're made of starting this Sunday in Cincinnati. Can they bounce back? It remains to be seen. Sutton, what do you think?
3: Like I said on the recap show you know i was in attendance in a really crappy game when we played against baltimore in 2016 and we came back after that game granted it was at home but we came out and the offense played way more prolific ended up winning the game 26 23 i do believe in the resilience of adam Gates teams i do think we bounce back uh i do think we go down swinging if we do lose um but I expect a much better offensive performance. Uh, I really think the Cincinnati offense is really good. I, I think they do a really good job of run past balance and with play calling, and, and they're not doing anything that outlandish either. So uh, they're just an effective offense. I cannot wait to actually be there in attendance with MC Money, and as cousins and some of my great friends, and we're going to meet so many great people there and have a good time. Either way, win, lose, or draw. Uh, it's actually let's not draw. But anyway, it's going to be. Uh, cannot wait to watch this all unfold. I, I can't remember how many games I've been to like this early in the season, where the Dolphins are three and one playing against another, you know, three and one team. You know, two division leaders right now. So, this is going to be a really exciting game to be in attendance at, and I cannot wait.
4: Like I said earlier, at the end of the season, I think a game like this is going to pay huge dividends towards, you know, a wild card spot. I think the Dolphins do have to win this game. I'm not quite sure it's what you consider a must win, but after that egg they laid up there in Foxborough, they got to go out there and they got to show that they're. Uh, you know, not a pushover like they, they appeared to be last week. Cincinnati's all offense is just clicking on all cylinders. I mean, they get Joe Mixon back, who's one of the better running backs in the league, in my opinion. You got Gio Bernard, who can make plays in the passing game. Uh, the Dolphins have a huge, huge task at hand. Whether or not they can go out there and beat Cincinnati on the road, I'm not sure if they can. We're not going to sit here and make predictions, but I do think at the end of the day, uh, you know, if the Dolphins win this game, that's going to say a lot about what this team is moving forward. If they lose uh, in a similar fashion to what they did last week in New England, uh, it might be we might be looking at a downward spiral a lot sooner than we had thought. So, enjoy this three and one start, but at the end of the day, the Dolphins got to go out there and they got to show a little bit more than they did in New England last week.
2: Can the Miami Dolphins get back on track? Can Adam Gase get this team pointed in the right direction? It sounds weird when they're three and one and first place in the AFC East, but that means nothing this early in the season. As we all said this throughout the show, tough stretch of games coming up the next quarter of the season at Cincinnati, then back home versus the Bears, who are coming off a bye week, then versus the Lions, who will be coming off a bye week, and then three days later on Thursday Night Football against the Texans. This will define the season. This stretch here will define the season, it will not be the first four games. It probably won't be the last few games. It will be this stretch right here. If they cannot come out with a win, or if they only come out with one win here, a lot of chatter, a lot of morale dropping, and a lot of questions that will need to be answered. But we'll see Miami versus Dolph Bengals on Sunday, 1 p.m. in Cincinnati. As Sutton said, he and I will be there with a few others, and we will be chairing our heads off for this Miami Dolphins team to get a victory. But that's going to do it for us here this week on FinSider Radio. For Sutton and Houts, I am Matt Canada. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time.
1: As a dolphin, the greatest football team. We drink the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, River. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. With us, what she's learned.
2: I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild.
1: Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere
0: you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neilai Patel, the editor in chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.